Welcome to the Secrets Women Keep podcast. I am your secret keeper and confidant, Lauren White. I'm a qualified counsellor and sexologist, madam of a secret society, author of Permission, and a witty, highly intuitive lounge room dancing introvert. I help you as an exceptional woman in entrepreneurship to see, love, and trust all the parts of yourself, especially the unseen. Let's pull back the curtain, light the candelabra, and remove the mask. These are the secrets women keep. Hello, and welcome to the Secrets Women Keep podcast. I'm your host and confidant, Lauren White, and today we have an incredible guest and a friend of mine. Her name is Dr. Peter Wright. Peter is a gynecologist, a pediatric and adolescent gynecologist, and fertility specialist. She's a voice for women who want to take back their bodies and their health care. She's integrative in the way that she works, and she's a fertility specialist with years of in-depth experience working with women across their lifespan. In founding Vera Women's Wellness, she fulfilled a long-held desire to provide women with an alternative to their modern clinical experience of visiting the gynecologist for quote-unquote women's problems. Her philosophy is that women deserve time, space, and compassion to tell their stories and be heard, to be empowered with knowledge, to get to the root cause of problems, and supported to make the choices that feel right to them. Vera Women's Wellness is about giving women their power back. Here to talk the secrets a gynecologist wish you knew about your body is Peter Wright. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. It's a joy and a pleasure. And you and I have known each other for a number of years through the healthcare traps in Brisbane. And it's been, just to share with listeners, it's been so incredible to watch you and witness you and your practice evolve and to see it really step into what it was always meant to be. And yeah, I just want to let people know, like really watch Dr. Peter and what she has to offer the world because it is here to really change, ultimately change women's lives and the way that they view themselves and how they access healthcare, which can be so radically different from what it has been in the past. Thank you. And I could say exactly the same thing back to you, Lauren. About what the way that you've evolved in the past few years into becoming, um, into offering what you're offering to the world, which is so needed, because you'll be creating a, hopefully, a generation of empowered women who can empower other women. So um, that's been also a complete joy. Um, <laughs> yeah, and thank you. The I think that healthcare has to change. I think that's my mission. The medicalization of women's bodies it's um you know a lot of my job is spent seeing women who are actually completely normal and fine but Mm -hmm. just don't have the um education they've forgotten their sort of inner knowing their inner wisdom and stopped um they haven't learned to listen to their bodies and what they're actually trying to tell them and often the conventional medical wisdom is that 
when women have symptoms, the treatment is to shut off the symptoms, not kind of have that inquisitive ear into what's what are the symptoms trying to tell you, but just shut them down, which often involves shutting off the whole reproductive system. And then, you know, women have a whole host of other problems that are associated with the treatment themselves. Um, and then they're so confused. They think that their bodies are broken, that their their bodies are betraying them when really their body was probably doing such an intelligent thing all along, trying to tell them something was wrong. And um, now the problems they're experiencing are as a result of treatment and medicalization. Um, so I think that the system has a lot of change change to have to have happen. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I thank God that there are pioneers like you out there that are frank enough to say to your clients, look, um, this is one of your options down the medical pathway. However, these are the pros, these are the cons, and really if we look at these other facets of your life, we could probably make more significant change. So, Peter, could you just share with us uh, what kinds of concerns women usually come to you with and what, and what you suggest as appro- ways that they can approach those concerns that aren't what you might typically hear from a gynecologist? I see a really wide range of um, concerns that women have and it can range from young women who are just getting their periods, just starting on that journey of having a woman's hormones um, and issues with irregular periods or heavy periods and often that is due to just that maturation of the um, reproductive system that's totally normal and often does require some support if that young woman is having a hard time with it but there's just no education about that that's actually a normal part of development before you know really frequently just getting put on the pill at you know, 13, 14, um, which has can have a lot of implications. So it's about educating them that there are other options. So, you know, supporting a woman's, you know, if there's heavy bleeding, sometimes you can change diet, use supplements, use non-hormonal medications or cyclical hormones that don't shut down the, the cycle altogether. Mm-hmm. I'm really passionate about that because I think that, you know, those early years of a young woman coming into her cycle are so crucial in how she's set up for the rest of her life um, and how what she thinks about her body and I think that in our society there's there's almost this um, collective undercurrent that as women our bodies are kind of dysfunctional from the beginning because they're Mm. not they're other they're not male they have all these other complicated Mm. things that happen you know Um, and we are born into a world that isn't really built for us. So our the way we have cycles that are variable throughout the month. Um, sorry, that was that ding that we tried to fix earlier. <laughs> um, so just ignore that. Um, the the variability in our cycles, the fact that we bleed, the fact that we ovulate, the fact that we make hormones in a, a cyclical way rather than once a day like men. Um, it's almost this unconscious thing that 
that makes us wrong to begin with and women are a problem to be fixed from the beginning. Um, it's hard to verbalise, but I see it and I see it in every, nearly every woman who comes to see me. It's this, this is the pro- a problem to be fixed rather than this is how, this is your, your body's a masterpiece really and it's mm-hmm. so complex. Um, but when you can learn how it works and you can learn to go with the flow of it and learn what works for it and not and things like that and become a master of it, um, it doesn't need to be fixed in many cases. So it is complex because I, I say that with um, full understanding and, and also seeing every day in my practice that sometimes things are just unmanageable, you know, really heavy periods or um you know, really painful periods. And and again, like you said at the beginning, there are a host of options and many of them can be diet, lifestyle, medications that support, you know, that help to reduce heaviness or pain during the period without shutting everything off. Um, because I think that if as a young woman, you feel like this period comes, there's nothing about it that's good. You don't ever learn the mm. positive part of having a cycle, we don't learn that a period really signifies the fact that we've ovulated, which is the most incredible thing, which is where we, ma- we, we make an egg and we make our hormones and um, how incredibly health-giving that is for us. Um, and that's the significance of having the period, as well as the fact that, you know, because we're gifted with this natural rhythm, um, we have these cues from our body that we need to rest at certain times and I think that's so important in a world that's just 24 hours a day go 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 you know Um, so there are so many positive things that we're not taught and so if you're a young woman who has some issues at the start you feel like it's already horrible you um, just get told that the only way to deal with it is to shut it off altogether Um, and you don't hear the other side of, of things, what, what's positive about having our hormones, you set a woman up who already has that um, that internalised sense that there's already something wrong with, a, with, with even more um, feeling that she's wrong, she's dysfunctional, she's broken from a young age. And then you just watch that play out for the rest of that woman's life and that's so common. So I'm so passionate about getting in early and talking to women about the the magnificence that their bodies are and, and that they're in charge of it and they can choose any myriad of options and um, I'm just kind of like a guide that's there to help them mm. along the way. Um, mm. so and listen to the words you're using. Like I just want to point out, first of all, I feel everything that you're saying. I just want to point out what gynecologist talks about the magnificence of women's bodies and women's bodies being a masterpiece like that alone really I think that really separates you um, in the best possible I mean that in the most affirming possible way really sets you apart from the fold of uh, seeing women's bodies as a problem to be fixed and all of the history that's seeped in um, stigmatizing women's bodies and their processes and their functions. So I just wanna I just want to point out to the listeners that there are health practitioners out there that feel the same way that Dr. Peter does about your body and wants to approach it in that really affirming, validating, um, what's a word, like uplifting way rather than coming to it from the broken, not enough, 
should be better, could be better, did it, did it, did it, did it, which is just inherently unhelpful and I think really limits uh, the potential of women's bodies. So first of all, I just want to thank you for the language that you use and how it is how it is well above and beyond anything that I ever hear um, come from <laughs> come from a medical practitioner's mouth. And you are, and the second thing I just wanted to reference was what was what you were just speaking to about getting in early on. I wish someone had spoken to me about my cycles early on um, that would have made a world of difference as to how I felt about them. I remember being in a car with my mom when I well and truly had my period, my cycles when I was 18 years old and I said to her with so much attitude, I'm going to go on the pill when I travel to Europe because I'm just going to skip all my cycles. I'm going to go on it that I don't have to get a period and my mum just said my mum's a little bit a little bit reserved at times but she was like is are you you able to is that right and and it was just like yeah it's fine everyone does it like all the that kind of that kind of attitude about my menstrual cycle as being annoying getting in the way of things and I wish someone had given me the um, the really informative pep talk and information that no doubt you give your clients, Peter. So I just wanted to say I'm, I have no doubt that that makes a world of difference as to how women, young women view their cycles and the power that is a part of them. I think that it's changing. I think that it is it is changing um i see it everywhere but perhaps it's because because everything i follow is about women's health mm-hmm. but i see that there's more positivity and you know i didn't come to this position just i didn't haven't always been in this position i mean even me so i was on the pill for 20 like probably 15 20 years and 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 i remember and this i've said this to people before this makes me want to like makes me feel sick in my stomach now but I, when I um, was taught, you know, there was not much in the, our gynecology, um, you know, you do medicine, then you sub-specialise into obstetrics and gynecology. And there wasn't a huge amount about our, our underlying cycle, what affects it. There just wasn't because conventional modern gynecology really doesn't care about the in many cases about the what underlying why it's all this it's just fixated on the symptom and not the whole woman which it misses so so much and there's so many examples of that I could t- talk to you about but I feel sick when I think about women who would sit across from me and I would hear this from the my mentors and the people who were training me when women would say but isn't it bad to be on the pill or is should I give my body a break or whatever and my mentors would say, and then later I would repeat this to, to, to women and patients. I would we would say, look, it's really savvy. Of course, why would you want it? Why would any smart woman want a period if they could not have it? Every gynecologist who's not either pregnant or wanting to be pregnant in Melbourne, where I trained, would be either on the pill or some form of birth control to not get their period because why would you have it? The misogyny is so mm. internalized mm. in our profession, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, 
It's like a quote that I read the other day um, that someone had put on their Instagram feed about, I think it was Marilyn Monroe or someone had said, um, why women who just want to reach the same, be the same as men, lack imagination. And I was like, that's so, so true. But in our generation, we've been raised to think we can do anything, we can do everything that the men can do, um, which we can, of course, but it, it it's almost like at the expense of the fact that we're different and it doesn't, mm. we can be as strong, we can be all of those things, but we can do it in our own unique way. And I think that's the thing that's been missing from that piece and that's why I see so many women who are just feel so disconnected like something's wrong some you know even when they've they've um you know they're not getting a period they're the ceo of a company they're doing it all but there's something missing because they're not connecting really to themselves because they've just had to shut down this whole part of themselves they've they've thought well within our society it's kind of like what's had to happen to be successful you have to be walk the same path as a man and negate mm. what, our, what was our truth is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took a, it did take a long time to get here. Yeah, yeah, and it does. And that's the, I think as long as that's, we're doing the best that we can with the information that we have on hand at the time, it's really that internalised misogyny that you reference, it's, if you're just constantly surrounded by it and that's what you're hearing and the people that you're, excuse me, looking to are sharing that with you as something that's very valid and, and, um, and they're coming, they're coming at it. They're approaching it from, you know, a degree of intentionality that, you know, this is in your best interest. Why would you, why would you want to suffer with the period or why would you have to experience that if you don't have to? So it's, yeah, it's challenging, but we need to be so compassionate towards ourselves that when we, what's the saying, that when you you know better that you do better. Yeah. I think that's an Audre, Audre Lorde quote. Um, yeah, so we know better now, so now we're going to do better and we're going to rewrite the narrative for the women that are up and coming um, behind us, alongside us, in front of us even, and make sure that we um, we change it so that they are empowered. But yeah, that internalized misogyny runs deep, and in healthcare, woof, it's a part of the fabric. I, I'm saying that as a uh, as an um, as a user of the healthcare system, and as someone who worked in public health for um, what was it, 13 plus years. So yeah, I feel that. It really is. And then, you know, the numbers of um, beautiful mums who come with their teenage daughters with the best of intentions, you know, to say, um, just can she just have something to even her out? Just she's got moods. She's moody. Like, yes, she's a human. She's Mm. a human and she's a woman. And, of course, and is that, and, of course, you know, I, I see a lot of women who have extreme um, debilitating mood symptoms prior to their period, so PMDD and things like that, um, which, you know, often may need to be managed medically, but there's still that overlay of um, the cultural expectations. And if, if I think for the majority of women, um, if they just had the permission 
that they were that they were okay to be themselves. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to cry. Yes. It's okay to feel. Yes. That, so not just in the hormonal mood aspect of things, but in women, I see a lot of women with pain, endometriosis, and other causes for pelvic pain. Um, often women who've had lots of surgeries, who've tried lots of things, and it's that whole thing of. You know, yes, of course, endometriosis can be a factor and can cause pain. But in the old model or the model that I see playing out now, I, I think it's changing too. But it will be so much focus on the surgery and the lesion of endometriosis. And you remove the lesion, the endometriosis should be fixed, but women aren't, aren't fixed. And, you know, it's 14 surgeries later. It becomes clear that the surgery isn't the thing that's helping and you then delve in and I see these women who have had, you know, they've had endometriosis or, or even pelvic pain without endometriosis. And then you you actually see them as a person, their whole experience, not just their symptoms. And, you know, nine times out of 10, there is significant trauma that's associated yeah. with their in their lives yeah. um that is a huge contributor to their pain mm. you and I have talked before about trauma how that affects the nervous system and the muscles and the body and mm. trapped trauma can be um can have physical symptoms there's not a distinction between our our um, nervous system and our body and our mind they're all intertwined and you know if we don't deal with a lot of that trauma that is just uncovered in some of my sessions um and then you know I always people always crying in my room but um uncover that trauma and it becomes this pathway to healing their physical symptoms and so I've found in my years of um training that not training my years of practice of of sitting with women that that's so significant in symptoms hormonal symptoms pain symptoms um and it's part of that thing of the body's trying to tell you something but if we just keep shutting it down we're never going to get to the time the, the the point where we can release it and move forward and that so that's always something that I would I address because it's mm. so, so common and mm. and our healthcare system at the moment does not provide time no. um, for women to to open up like that and and be able to explore that trauma and I'm really passionate about allowing women that time to to do the uncovering themselves about what could be part of their story you know contributing to their story contributing to their symptoms rather than the the you know modern medicine thing of here's a every pill for every ill which just doesn't work yeah yeah and I'm glad you brought that up because it is underlying trauma and the ways that the body holds on to trauma is a massive it plays, a, it plays a massive role in terms of inflammation and pain and our perception of pain and our experience of, um, of our body and its physiology. So I'm glad you brought that up and that you're starting that dialogue with your clients. I, have, I, I bet that makes a world of difference as to you know, whether they're receptive to it or not is another thing which... Um, which the individual needs to decide, but bringing that up is really a step apart from the let's just put this on top of 
of of whatever's going on and brush that aside, sweep it under the rug, and let's just stay on top of the the symptoms rather than getting to the root cause. That's a very um, that's an approach that's more widely needed, no doubt about it. As an example, this is just fresh in my head because I saw this beautiful woman the other day, but she had um, years of pain, ended up with a, uh, a surgery to remove a fibroid a couple of years ago, which probably wasn't even the cause of her pain but happened to be there on an investigation. So had a, had a um, fibroid removed then was put on um, different forms of contraceptive drugs to help with periods, period pain. And she got ongoing, you know, um, irregular bleeding and increased pain and ended up in hospital probably two or three times over the Christmas holidays with pain, intractable pain, unable to, you know, get out of hospital. And my um, beautiful husband, who's a gynecologist as well, and he hears me talking about, you know, probably too much all of the all of the women that I see and and um, their collective stories said there's something more going on here and he recognized that and said there's something more going on and um, you know go go and see Peter so this she left hospital to come and see me and it came out that there was a really terrible history of um, abuse and trauma that, that hadn't come out before. And when we dealt with that, obviously that was really tough emotionally, but um, this woman was able to get the address the right things in her psychotherapy and with her psychologist and her with her psychiatrist, see a physio who was really skilled and sensitive and compassionate in helping to release that trauma that was stuck in her pelvic floor and her hips. Mm. And I was thinking, oh, we might still have to do something about the periods because it's obviously still a trigger. She's had that's been four months ago, and she has a period every month, and it's not it's not a problem anymore. And she's not suffering from the side effects of all the drugs that were just trying to shut down the symptoms because she's actually addressing the root cause and now moving into a place where she feels strong enough to even confront. Um, what happened to her and, you know, report it. And and I just, like, that story gives me shivers because it's, um, and, and that's just like the tip of the iceberg, you know. Um, and it's not every woman, of course, not every woman has a history of trauma, but there's so many that that's a huge part of the, the story that can't can't ignore. And I, mm. I would just hope that we get to a point where we, our healthcare system works to treat people as a whole um, and give them the time that they need in order to really heal. Mm, incredible. That is an incredible story about how one woman's life can be and experience of her pain can be completely revolutionised by addressing what is keeping her locked, what's keeping her in contraction and there was a multidisciplinary approach there. There was there was everyone working in their particular zone of genius, their particular strength, and together all of that creates a sense of symbiosis so that she can uh, move on and step forward into the next chapter of her life. And I want to emphasise that multidisciplinary approach because it can be easy to 
think as a healthcare consumer that one health practitioner can hopefully solve or address everything for you. It's usually not the case. It's that's a, you know, that might just might turn out that way. But I just want to emphasize the normality of needing to see a team of people so that each one can help you with their specific skill set and how all of those skills work together to get you to a more empowered place. Absolutely. I could not agree more because I think almost if you have a really complex situation and someone does say they can because they can fix everything, then you should maybe think twice. Um, and it's not about the practitioners fixing it. It's about, again, supporting, educating, providing you with the knowledge so that then the woman can make the decisions that are the right thing for her because many women, many women have never felt that they were in control. It's just been this is what we do, this is what I'd recommend, this is you want contraception, this is the thing. And they haven't really had great informed consent or felt like they were, that they, like it's annoying to be someone, it's almost like the story is it's a bit annoying if you ask a lot of questions or you really want to be in charge of those decisions, especially for young women who don't have that power yet. But that's what we need to be teaching women. And I work with a, a range of beautiful, skilled, um, incredible health practitioners such as dietitians, um, nutritionists, physiotherapists who are just like incredible wonder workers because of all that um, stored trauma and, and um, pelvic floor muscle dysfunction which is so under-recognised and can make a world of difference mm. um, and psychologists and even I work with a beautiful lady who's a hypnotherapist and um, and I think having that team approach, you know, as you said, with people who are experts in their field, especially if you're complex and especially if you've been through, and a lot of the women that I see have been to five gynecologists before, like that the woman I had um, illustrated. And I think sometimes there's this thing of, oh, God, but I don't want to invest that money um, there are lots of ways so with physios and dietitians and psychologists you can get care plans from your GP but the way I think about it is you're actually investing especially for women who are so stuck they're investing in themselves um, and I wish that our healthcare system valued um, this kind of multidisciplinary care bet more than it does because this is actually what works um, whereas just surgery doesn't really work um, for many things. Just medication doesn't really work. It's just, you know, a Band-Aid solution. And our healthcare system has to change. You know, I was used to work in the public system as well and I was banging my head against a brick wall to create a multidisciplinary clinic for adolescents because I could see that, you know, it wasn't good enough to just say surgery, the pill, hormonal contraception, mm. you need you needed time and you needed all of those facets because that's how people get well. But you know what? They don't make the hospital money. And because they don't make the hospital money, um, and that's, you know, a whole other thing with health economics and a probably a broken system. Um, but if we can keep 
women, you know, from getting to that place in the in the first place through education and knowledge about nurturing their bodies and and food and movement and um, you know, taking even just note of what's happening in their cycle, there'll be a lot less people that will have to end up, you know, needing those services or needing my services. That's the world I envisage is that, you know, at school kids learning about their cycles and the positives and of it and, you know, some tools to help um, not even manage it. I hate that word. I hate the idea of yeah. manage it. Um, yeah. To flow with it and to become a master, to create, to have mastery in your own mm. body, you know. Um, yeah, so there's a lot to unpack. Yeah, just feel, I'm just feeling the difference between manage and ma- and have a sense of mastery over or mastery over, and they feel very different. It feels like one you've got more of a say or more of an influence, and the other one, yeah, it just you've got a problem to manage. Yes, a problem, and you're yeah. not a problem. Yeah, you're a work of art. Women. Yes, you're a work of art. You're a masterpiece. Maybe the word is maybe the word is a pre maybe it's appreciate the our differences and um and yeah master um master the ebbs and flows and just yeah I have to think more about how to eloquently put that but I don't like manage yeah yeah I I there comes a point where you hear a word enough and you realize the limitations of it and that's a call to you know change the change the words that we use and make them more empowering for us as clinicians and for the clients that we're serving so language. I'm wondering it was sorry you go on Peter. Oh, sorry I was just going to give you one more example I reckon language is so important especially with pain and especially with um like, as I said, I see so many women who come in panicked. Oh my God, I've got a, um, I've had, I've got a cyst on my ovary and I'm worried the doctor said it could rupture. And then both of those words, yes, sometimes people have ovarian cysts, but often the other word for a cyst is a follicle and a follicle's an egg in our ovaries, which should be there, which is our ovary working beautifully, right? And when the follicle or the cyst ruptures, the other word for that is ovulation. And when I explain this to women, they're like, oh, because the idea of something rupturing in your tummy and the idea of this like pathological thing because they're not really understanding about how eggs and follicles work is obviously terrifying. And then, you know, even just if I do a scan on somebody who has got, you know, a two-centimetre follicle, which is totally normal at their time of ovulation and go, see, this is your egg and this is the follicle and when you ovulate, it pops out and then floats off down the fallopian tube and some of that fluid might pop into your peritoneal cavity and cause a little bit of pain, but it's not rupturing. And rupturing, so it's just a horrible, terrifying word that, of course, if you think that something's rupturing, it's going to be much more painful, you know. Um, so just understanding a lot of what happens normally is incredibly empowering and changing that language from such terrifying language to actually your ovaries working exactly as it should be is incredibly powerful oh that's such a good example thank you for that that's a gift that yeah that wouldn't have yeah that wouldn't have crossed my mind but thank you for that that's that really you can really feel the difference between how the language is used and insights 
fear and concern and where it's actually a part of our biological process for that event to take place. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I've always wondered, as a registered health professional, how honest are you able to get with your clients about their habits and their lifestyles and relationships and the impact that those those things have on their health status? Are you able? I'm, do you feel like you're able to be quite honest with yeah. your clients and upfront about what the ways that they may be? Uh, not responsible is not the word. Well, it's about responsibility, like what part they're playing in their health status. Yes, um, I'm really honest, but I always, always, well, I try. And I apologize to anyone if I've ever, if I've seen you and I haven't done this with love, but I really endeavor to come at it from a place of love because um, I think there are too many stories of women who get, um, you know, told, well, you're overweight or you're, you smoke or you're, you drink too much or, you know, what, what can you expect that's bad for you? But, again, it's that thing of, okay, well, why is this person drinking a bottle of wine at night every night? Why is this person reaching for the, um, you know, having hungry jacks for every meal or, um, why is this person trapped in a relationship they know isn't good for them and they're not going to leave mm. it? And mm. so, and, and you know, I do on the last one, I would do a joke with a colleague of mine sometimes. You feel like you get so deep into this stuff and that people have all these realizations. And so often it's like, oh no, I need to leave my husband. <laughs> and it's just, you feel, I say this to my other colleague who's a beautiful doctor. And she says, you know, you just have to say, well, I don't know. That's something that only you can work out, but you, it's important that you're thinking about these things. Um, because often those relationships do play a big part in health and stress and feeling stuck. But I just like all of those things go back to, okay, well, why are you tr- doing the things you're doing? And you can break it down often with, you know, food and, you know, alcohol, smoking, etc. Often it's the root of it is, not being loving to yourself, not, uh, you know, having trauma, using it as a coping strategy Mm. um, and you're trying to numb out and not deal with something that you should be, you need to deal with. And that's all about, you know, I think it's, it's, it's possible to come at that from a place of love and understanding and nurturing as opposed to blame Mm, and I I think that that's really important because even just from a point of view of well obviously it's going to make someone feel a lot better if you are coming at it from a loving position but but there are so many studies that say that if you if you make somebody feel bad and about their choices then often they don't make a lifestyle change but if you can help them to understand why they're doing it then and give them some other tools different tools then that is going to be more successful. And so, you know, often if it's food or alcohol or not lack of exercise, which are all incredibly important things when it comes to menstrual health, um, just because what's happening with our underlying health is is um, affects 
our hormones and then our menstrual cycle. So I think what everybody needs to remember is that our menstrual cycle, how well our hormones work, how we ovulate, how, you know, how our periods turn out is basically a reflection of our underlying health in many cases. So you fix the underlying health issues and often the um, hormones and menstrual cycle stuff takes care of itself. Um, but, you know, often so if it's alcohol, smoking, lack of exercise, diet, you know, I this is why I have long appointments. This is why I have to apologise to lots of my patients if I'm running late because <laughs> I go through all of this, you know, what, what are you eating, how much are you sleeping, if you're sleeping, you know, if you're sleep deprived, it's going to be easy to make those choices that aren't going to be as good for you in terms of food because you're trying to soothe and your um, your high cortisol levels are driving you to have, you know, heavier carbohydrate-rich foods, more sugar, etc. If you're depressed or anxious or you're not sleeping or you're not dealing with something, you're going to be more likely to drink. If you're drinking, you're not going to be sleeping. Your anxiety is going to go up. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. All so interconnected. It's so yes. interconnected. So it's just I honestly feel like the way to go about it is to – um, just dig, 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 uncover all the things that might be contributing to that behaviour and laying them out for that that woman so she can see. And often it's just them then having these big aha moments. Oh, okay. Oh, God, I'm eating the um, chocolate every night because I've got nothing left and I've got no skill yeah. to decompress and I'm sleep deprived. And you know, and then then you give them tools, and they can understand what's happening and why they're making the choices that they're making, and then that then they can actually have real change, and and then combined with that real really um, beautiful team structure of that multidisciplinary team to support people because it's hard. Like if you've got no time, plus yeah. you have issues with self-love because of trauma or whatever, it's hard to make those changes. But if you've got if you understand why. You don't beat yourself up about it because if you beat yourself up or you feel like you're to blame, that just creates more shame, more um, self-loathing, and that doesn't help. That doesn't help. It's about telling that woman that they're worthy of making changes and that they are an incredible, beautiful, intelligent, wonderful person and they've just gotten stuck. And here are some ways we can unpick it and make these changes and it doesn't have to be always like that. So I'm honest but I'm kind because, you know, you, people aren't going to change if you're not kind. Plus I can see how they got to that point. So you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely, definitely, especially when you're willing to look back at the history and the chain of events that where one bleeds into the other which affects the next thing and the domino effect of it all. And what I'm taking away from what you're saying is that you can be honest and you can be kind and you can be very humanistic about it. And in fact, that's going to be more incentivizing for women to make those changes than trying to cut corners and be like, lose weight, do this, don't do that, don't do that. Like that's actually taking them on a much longer route um, to wellness. Well, it's probably going to stop them in their tracks, really. Um, whereas what you're saying is they'll be, if they're supported and they have a sense of accountability from that support, um, then they're going to make, they're going to be more motivated to make those changes and to 
make different choices for themselves because they're starting to feel that they're worthy of that. Completely. People won't make changes if they don't feel that they're worthy. Yep. That's so right. And you can't be judgmental as a health practitioner or just a person in life because, you know, I, you haven't, and I've, you know, sometimes you feel you're human and if you're exhausted and you're at the end of your day, you know, Mm. there's that tendency to be, you know, a bit judgmental in your head. And then the minute that you allow, well, this is what I find anyway, but the minute that you provide that space and you just allow that woman to walk into that space and provide it in a non-judgmental way, you they're actually giving you a gift. They're actually giving me as a health practitioner a gift of um, allowing me to understand how they got to where they got to. Yeah. And that is incredibly helpful in then forming that therapeutic relationship and then being able to um, provide them with the most um, fitting tools for them because then I can understand where they're at, you know, and, and I meet them where they're at. Like I wouldn't, you know, if they're, they're at a point where they can go for a walk for five minutes twice a week and that's where they're at, that's where we start. Mm. Um about meeting them with where they're at and as a practitioner giving them space to give me that gift to then help them um, to the best of my ability. Does that make sense? Yeah, most definitely. And you're really tapping into the power of listening to someone's story and something that I do when I walk through the shopping centre is if I ever notice even just one whisper of judgment coming through because I'm human I would love to say I'm completely non-judgmental but if I feel just one whisper come through I immediately say to myself I don't know that person's story I don't know that person's trauma I have have actually uh, I witnessed so much trauma um, in the client in my clients in drug and alcohol and in um, being a sexologist and now a confidant that I just I actually assume that there's trauma in some way, shape or form in lots of people's stories and that the trauma is actually what's underneath a lot of um, how people are living their lives and expressing themselves. So I'm not sure if that helps um, anyone listening, but I've I've felt a connection to what Peter was saying about um, the power of not not assuming and putting judgment to the side to learn more about that person as an individual. Because that's where they've come from, you know. The, by the time women get to me, they've often been like, oh, God, I, I, I already feel bad. They already walk in feeling bad because they're a certain weight or they know, you know, and, and people have made them feel like that in the past. Um, I can think of one woman who was a was drinking she went off her antidepressants because she thought that was better for her, which is another whole thing with the stigma of antidepressants. And then instead she started drinking and she was drinking a lot and she was self-medicating. And then that was, you know, leading to a whole host of other problems. And she said, I know I shouldn't do it. I said, but you're, but you're just self-medicating. You're dealing with your pain the best way you can at the moment, but mm-hmm. better way. And when I spoke to her GP, she said, oh, I I thought she was drinking too much. I just gave her a pamphlet and told her to stop drinking so much. I was like, no, no, a pamphlet doesn't help. And 
you know, but again, our healthcare system is not set up to support GPs um, to really get to the heart of things, and which is which is um, heartbreaking, really. And and the other thing to come at, at the you know when you were saying, can you get honest about things? Is I believe genuinely that every woman who comes to see me has the power to make the changes that she needs to make to make her life what she needs to make it. I believe so strongly in women's ability and the fact that they're, um, they are are good, beautiful people, no matter what's happened to them. And Mm -hmm. um, I just think it's about that listening, which is so important. And when I was a younger doctor, I used to think um, when the role models that you see are the, the people who are, you know, see lots of patients, do lots of operations. The, the the phrase softer skills, which is the listening and the connecting and the being compassionate, I kind of, I used to think that was like a lesser skill. This is, again, internalised misogyny, right? That was like a lesser skill. Oh, yeah, I'm good at that, but, you know, maybe I've got something else wrong or whatever. And now um, in my wisdom... Um, I've come to realise that actually those skills are skills and they're, they're some of the most important skills. And so that listening is therapeutic in itself, even if you do nothing else and you just uh, give somebody the space to feel heard and seen is, is massive and that's what's massively missing in modern medicine. Mm. Mm. And how... How incredible that you are, um, that you're going to show another generation of doctors that you can do things a different way and that it can be incredibly empowering for you as the practitioner and for the client as well. That you're re- you're, you are, just to really acknowledge you, you are rewriting the way that medicine is being practiced so that doctors can potentially see another way of valuing the craft and giving and adding value and quality of life to people's identities and life. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) You are. (laughs) Either that or when I move into my new clinic, um, (laughs) everyone will think, oh, She's she's doing her crazy brand of medicine. No way. Um, no yes, way. Uh, God, if I had my choice, you're the you're the guy. <laughs> you are definitely the guy that um that I'd see because I think everyone I hope my philosophy is everyone wants to feel special. That's my right. philosophy that underpins all of my work. It's like everyone wants to be a VIP. Everyone wants to be special. Everyone wants to be seen. Everyone wants to be heard and understood. And to see how refreshing to see a medical, a licensed medical, registered medical practitioner that takes, that has longer appointments, that really sees you, that that comes to understand you rather than like I've been, I go to my dermatologist and I'm in and out in six minutes, six minutes, like in, out, mm, mm, mm. Um, and I don't feel special. I don't feel, 
I don't really feel cared for. I think he's very good at what he does and I appreciate him and I appreciate his eye and that's what he's good at. But nothing about that feels empowering or um, like I'm seen, I guess. Um, so I just wanted to reflect that back to you that uh, that nothing about that is, um, yeah, anyone who has a problem with that approach I'd say has definitely got their own stuff or their own internalised misogyny um, that they haven't yeah. yet addressed. There is still a lot of that, but I think I'm really encouraged. I have got, um, I know, really amazing, beautiful gynaecologists that I work with who will be working with me in my new clinic, which I'm so excited about, um, to work even, you know, the idea of in the last year or so of having that little community where we can unpick that misogyny within our own um within our own specialty together and have almost like this catharsis or debriefing about our experiences and how we want it to change mm-hmm. um been amazing on a personal growth level and also um to talk about how we want things to be different going forwards to how we want to provide care differently is just exciting and I can't wait to see how it will look. Um, And, yeah, and I also think the aspect of how, you know, this isn't just about women but about human health that I feel like we've lost, we've lost so much connection to nature, um, to our own nature, not not, um, let alone the outside world but to our own natural state, you know, our circadian rhythms, our own biological hormonal rhythms, we've just been so disconnected from as well as the nature that's around us, which, you know, that that idea, well, we're all one really, but um, but I feel like modern life, the rush, the stress, the disconnection has a huge effect on our health because we really, when you get down to it, we can't be having optimal health if we are in that disconnected state. And so I'm excited about providing um, women with a space, like not just the, the the space to share their stories, but the actual physical space of being in nature for their appointments and um, being able to decompress and spend, connect with themselves as well. I'm yes. really excited about, about that and um, the difference that I think it will, will make. Definitely. And um, what Peter is speaking into right now is an idea that she was birthing in, was it 2019 that it really started coming through? I remember us meeting, I think, in late 2019, late-ish 2019, and you had your notebook and you were telling me what your idea was and you're like is this crazy what do you think and I was like oh my god green light go for it go for it so could you just take a moment to tell us a little bit more about what is in development right now uh, and when if you've got a date for or a time frame for when uh, this incredible creation will be open for women to access Yes, so it was 2019. It was pre-COVID, I think, um, and then it became uh, cemented in COVID. So I work currently in a great um, share, a great sort of group gynae fertility practice in the middle of Brisbane, and um, 
I, my husband and I bought this crazy um, piece of land in the Sanford Valley, which is about 35 minutes out of Brisbane, about three years ago. And there was something very magical about the place. The house was completely falling down. <laughs> and the, um, <laughs> the building inspector was like, Are you sure you want to buy this place? And <laughs> it was just so magical. And we bought it. And I just had this feeling that there was something. Something was going to happen with it. And it has a, another dwelling on the property that's away from my house. Um, but this is my favourite place in the whole world to come back to. And um, during, I just had this dream of having um, a multidisciplinary women's health clinic here maybe one day. It was just a little seed. And then during COVID, one of the first things that happened um, when the first na- nationwide lockdown started was that all of the amazing allied health team that we had built at Eve at my practice um, left because of, you know, um, COVID and financial reasons and things like that. And it was really devastating to me and I can understand it as from a business point of view, of course, um, but for my patients and for the way I practice, it was really devastating. And I thought, maybe now is the time to do this multidisciplinary clinic of my own. And I looked at a few places in town that all sort of lacked soul. And one day I went for a walk and I thought, it's actually here. It's here. It's going to be here. It's Mm. already here. Mm. And I came back from my run and I said to my husband, I know what I need to do. And he said, what and I said I think it needs the clinic needs to be here and he said of course it does I'm glad you've come to that that conclusion um and so yeah it's a it's in the process of being built at the moment and so every day I go past and I have this have goosebumps because I see that this um in this creation that's happening in the real world that used to just be in my in my brain and that it's coming to fruition and it's so it's about 35 minutes out of um brisbane it's a beautiful drive it feels like you're if you've ever watched the show escape to the country um, the uk version which i used to because i'm such a nerd i used to just love to do on friday nights it was my favorite thing to have pizza and watch escape to the country (laughs) until i came to came to the sanford valley which is like that just rolling green hills and mountains and trees and things and um the idea of it being here is that women have to take time for themselves they have to take a few hours off out of their day um have a break where they drive out they park they um, are in nature they have given this time to themselves and i think that in itself is going to be healing um, and then um, I'll hopefully have my my the other two brilliant gynecologists that I was speaking of earlier, um, a physiotherapist, um, a Chinese medicine practitioner, um, a nutritionist, a naturopath, a real multidisciplinary team of women that I love and work with all the time. Um, and I just see it as being this real gift for women because this is my favorite place in the whole world and being able to share that with other people um I think I've always that that's that's a really important part of what I'm doing 
and also me being able to slow down see a few see less patients but be able to give them the time that they deserve mm-hmm. um, in this kind of setting and actually walk my own talk um, and have time to do the things that fill my cup as well um, which is another another huge thing that we need to uh, unravel in medicine that that shouldn't be the norm that we shouldn't be just running around stressed like headless chickens like where you know that's part of the problem um so that's another big reason why i'm i'm opening vera and it's going to be opening in august of um this year so i think our landing page for our website will be live in the next um week or so and so any inquiries can you can just pop onto the website um which will be if you follow me on social media you'll be able to look at look that up and then um the website will address will be there because i don't know my head (laughs) excellent and i'll put that in the show notes as well so that um women interested can just click through and get in there and see you and see the team and i am so excited i'm so excited for you i'm so excited for the team i'm so excited for women that are going to experience healthcare in a completely congruent aligned way where the environment and the approach completely matches like energetically matches rather than in the bus- middle of the city, in a room with like Seven Eleven lighting, and talking mm. about <laughs> rushing yeah. through an appointment and saying change these lifestyle things. I just think this is the 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 new way, which is the old way. And um, oh, that's so beautiful. You, yeah. That's right, because it's uncovering what we have known, but we've been conditioned to ignore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Time to uncover. Time to unveil time to remove all of the masks and really get real about ourselves and our behaviors in our life and take it so seriously so that we can have more fun and so that we can enjoy ourselves and be really engaged and completely connected and uh, that's really what I feel from you Peter when I hear you talk about Vera and those those ripple effects it's not just about the clients but the ripple effects uh within the client's life are going to be it's intangible you're not you're not even going to know um really how much the power of them accessing that kind of congruent aligned service is going to uh reach out and impact other people especially other women in their lives so we're showing other women another way Yes, the world does not need more frazzled, disconnected women. No way. No mm. way. And now. thank you, <laughs> you I, for listeners as well, I think it's very important to note that I read Lauren's book a few years ago. I remember where I was reading it. I remember reading the last pages. I remember putting it down and sending her a message and saying, oh, my God, yeah. Lauren, <laughs> this is game changing especially being a good quote unquote good girl which you have to be to get through you know medical training and all of that stuff and feeling like you had to ask permission for things all the time Mm. I just have to say anyone who hasn't read that book please read it because it's just freeing and just 
um, just so many, you know, it's a good book when I'm saying to my husband, oh, my God, you have to read this bit. I'm reading bits aloud to him. And he's so beautiful. He listens and makes appropriate comments. But um, I just found I just found it really life-changing. Oh, that's so good to hear. I still, I remember your message. I remember your message and it was like you sitting in your hammock, I think, <laughs> reading the book on the weekend and the message you sent me was just so all heart, all that big, beautiful Pisces heart of yours was just like coming through and I was like, oh, being enveloped in this hug <laughs> from you through an Instagram DM and, yeah, just thank you. It's really um yeah, really, I really felt that, and I'm so glad that uh, that it spoke to you. That's um, that's all you can ever hope for when you create something, anything, is that it reaches someone exactly when they need exactly when they need that message. But that's the ripple effect, right? Mm. So I read mm-hmm. that I was on a bit of a path already that empowered me. That was a big spark of empowering me to to do the things that I'm now doing. And then creating Vera Women's Wellness and then the ripple effect that that will in turn have, I hope. So you could have been the start of a little ripple, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That means means so much. That means so much. And, yeah, I'm really, like I said, I'm really excited about, I'm really excited about Vera and the land that she's on is... Um, I've had the you know honor of being on on the, that land, and it, the the land is magic. Absolutely, it's made of pure magic. So, uh, the healing happens as soon as you put your you know put your foot on on the earth. There, um, Peter, we're now at the end of our time together, but I'm just wondering before we finish up, could you answer a couple of quick shoot questions for me? Sure. Okay. Now with this, don't think about it. You don't have to give a long answer. It's just kind of short and sharp, just coming straight from the heart or the gut or the sacral chakra, (laughs) wherever it comes from. (laughs) So, um, Peter, I would love to know what's your favourite sensation? Um, Smell, I think. Mm. Smell. It just went to the smell of... Um, particular oils or the rain on asphalt yeah smell yummy yummy what's your favorite secret place um I have so here at Vera there's a creek that runs through our property and on one side of the creek um there we just basically cleared all these old reeds and you can now get all the way down and it's like when you're you're there, you're in another world. There are, you know, it's rock pools and just lantana and vegetation and big trees and dragonflies and butterflies and sunlight um, just moving through the trees like magic and it's my favourite secret place. Mm, Sounds gorgeous, enchanting, really enchanting. Yeah. What's one secret talent you possess? Mm. Ah, secret, a secret talent. Um, I'm really good at making porridge. I know that doesn't sound like much, but it's actually, (laughs) it's hard to make really good porridge. And I've um, got my Scottish grandmother's skills of making the best porridge and all my kids would, you know, always ask for my porridge over anyone else's. So I think. (laughs) I love it. That's, um, That's a really 
like that's something that just people wouldn't know yeah. and people overlook as well. But it is you're right, it is there is a special skill to that. So you've got the secret, <laughs> the <laughs> secret sauce. Um, what's your secret pleasure? Um a secret pleasure. I I don't know if it's that secret, but I um I just like being in nature. I like being able to breathe the fresh air and smell the grass and the trees and and feel the dirt under my feet and be barefoot um that's the thing that fills me up and feels deep and feels satisfying Mm. good sensations Mm. who's one woman who's really seen you you have um who else um, oh, I don't know if I could say one woman because I've got an amazing group of um, friends that are that I think have have seen me and know me and um, and we know and see each other, which I think is the, is incredibly important that 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 circle of being seen, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, so I wouldn't say just one person I'd say mm. I've got a tribe which yeah. has taken me time which I'm proud of because I'm not from this city I was from um, another state and moved here as a when I was 31 and it's hard to make good you know meaningful friends when you're a bit older um, and I feel like I've got a beautiful tribe of, of women around me and I'm really proud of that yeah yeah and that's a, you know that that circle is a reflection of you as well and what you emit and project and give to the world because you've got such a big heart, such a big heart. And my final question for you is one-on-one, which I think I already know the answer to, but one-on-one conversation or mingling through a bustling soiree. One-on-one soirees. (laughs) I enjoy a small soiree, but a large soiree. We were just talking about this before because because I'm turning 40 on the weekend and I'm having a, my husband's making me have a party. Well, not making me, encouraging me. And it'll be day one of my cycle and I'm an introvert and (laughs) one-on-one. So I'll have to choose some um, meditating and some good alone time beforehand, I think. I love the ability to connect with someone and have a real meaningful, proper conversation. I feel like the nature thing, I feel that's satisfying and deep and I walk away from that feeling. um, I feel like recharged rather than if I'm Mm. in a group of people where there's just lots of surface conversation Mm -hmm. I feel drained yeah yeah completely resonates um Peter thank you so much for everything for all of your generosity and everything that you've shared with uh, our listeners today I'm just wondering where can we find you online um you can find me at currently at Mm evehealth.com.au and you can find me on instagram at Peter Virginia Mm-hmm. And also Vera Women's Wellness um, is also on Instagram and um, the website will be on um, that Instagram page. Yeah, excellent. Okay, wonderful. Thanks so much again and 
I have no doubt that um, that women are going to get so much from today's episode and to maybe even, dare I say, expect more from their medical practitioners in terms of um, not more but ex- expect um, and request a deeper level of service so that they can get to the root of their problems rather than, um, as, as we put it before, managing the symptoms of their concerns. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I Thanks hope this episode. <laughs> I hope this episode has contributed to your understanding of your secret self. If you enjoyed it, please share it on Instagram and tag me in it so more women can feel seen and understood. And if you never want to miss an episode, then make sure you subscribe and you won't miss a whisper.